Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I'm Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach. We're going to talk about the DC comics that were released last week. That means the comics that were released on February 15th, 2017. If you haven't read them yet, pause the podcast, do so, because we're going to spoil them. Um, we have a lot to talk about, so I'm going to skip the preamble for this week. Let's get right into it. We have The Wild Storm, number one. We've been waiting for this book for a while. Written by the great Warren Ellis, illustrated by John Davis Hunt. Um, I would say overall, while all three of us are admirers of of Ellis's work, I'm probably the least rabid fan of the three of us. So I'm I'm gonna hang back for this one for now and let you guys talk about it first. So Zach, why don't we start with you? What did you think of the uh, the first issue of the Wildstorm? Um, I wasn't okay. So. I don't know. I don't know how to process this without like making me sound. I'm, I was not disappointed with it at all. I, it's a wonderful first issue. I really liked it. I think it's kind of along the same lines of uh, the first issue of Doom Patrol. It's something that like I really love, and it's a it's like a very high quality product, but it's not like you know, your typical, like, first issue um, hook, I would say. This is going to be a slow burn, and I'm okay with that. Especially based on everything that we know about the series so far. Vince, what about you? I loved this issue. <laughs> I, uh... I, I, I loved how... So, um... Warren Ellis's like recent work, um, whether it's the stuff that he kind of hops on and does an arc or two for with Marvel, or his image stuff, um, I'm thinking more like most recently, what Injection and um, like He's... Supreme Supreme Blue Rose, which was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the book Trees too, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, trees. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I think trees is the only one of those three that I haven't read. Okay, and I, I think, I think, tr- I think this is a lot like trees, but like he's he, he does things in a variety of different styles, and some of them are very obtuse. Like I'm thinking about the Supreme book. Like if you if you were going into that, <laughs> yeah, book, you would be completely lost, and. I think even if you've read Supreme, you're lost for half of that book, you know, unless you really dig deep. And I was a little worried, but also excited that maybe the Wildstorm would have some of that. Like, like part of me wanted it to be impenetrable <laughs> just to prove that like DC would allow something like that to happen, you know, like something that I once thought only could happen at image, you know? And on the other hand, I was worried because, like, that is going to turn people off, you know? And I think this struck such a nice balance between being weird and different, a, like, a, like a different take on these characters, while being surprisingly straightforward from a plot perspective. Like, you've got the engineer who is working for this organization swoops in and saves somebody from a competing 
uh, faction, and like that's your conflict right there. You know, like unknowingly, this is setting up a conflict between the two organizations. Right. And that's like that's the crux of the plot right there, and it's incredibly easy to follow. And 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 yet at the same time, it feels like vibrant and modern and and like really current and in some ways realistic but in some ways um very like pseudoscience-y or or you know very high tech um and 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 i just i i was i was really relieved that the final product of this first issue was something that is unlike anything else that dc is publishing and yet surprisingly easy to follow. Like I really breathed a sigh of relief when I was done reading this at how satisfied I was and how easy everything was to keep track of. It's interesting. So I don't disagree with what either of you said. I think there's a lot of characters you're meeting in the first issue and that can be a little bit overwhelming at times, especially if you're not a huge uh, fan slash follower of past Wildstorm stuff. There's a lot of characters introduced here, but, I will say, in terms of, I, I think in some ways it's harder for someone like me to read this book than for a brand new reader, because I'm racking my brain trying to make sure I'm remembering everything I need to remember from the past volumes, you know what I'm saying? Like, And so there's that extra sort of layer of trying to be on top of things and trying to remember what's happening, instead of just enjoying it as it's going and not caring if I'm missing something down the road, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, but I don't think you need any of that. Like, I don't. Well, that that was going to be my conclusion. I think after reading the issue the first time, when I read it a second time and I stopped worrying about that, I enjoyed it much more. Yeah, I mean, you really can treat this as a completely brand new thing. Um, I've it's been so long since I've read like the proper Wildstorm stuff that I don't even know how much of this is. Like this doesn't even re- this doesn't seem like the same voodoo to me. This like I think this is completely separate. And I think like if you're worried about juggling characters, like you don't need to know who Voodoo is yet. You know, you get right. like you get like two pages with her, but you know that like who she is and what she's doing will come later. Just just remember you saw her. You know. Right. Um. I think really this this business with um, with the engineer is like really all you need to know for this issue, and 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 they make the conflict between uh, the I.O. and whatever I forget what that other organization is called, but um, Halo. Halo. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, they make that pretty clear. Uh, you know what's going on there so it's um it's interesting you you brought up you know at the beginning brian the you know our varying degrees of of connection with uh warren ellis's previous wildstorm work and i think in some ways maybe that like my connection to that is kind of what tempered uh my enjoyment of this issue not not again not to say that i didn't enjoy it i really did but um he's dealing with like a lot of different characters really than I feel like he did in his, say his like Stormwatch and his authority 
and planetary. And I think that's maybe where like some of my things come in, like, you know, um, certain characters that I was like hoping to see come up weren't in this first issue and certain characters that I don't really care all that much about, like, like, uh, death blow or Michael, Michael Cray, um, who is supposedly getting the first spinoff comic. Right. Exactly. Um, so that's kind of like tempered my, um, kind of like, I guess fanboy excitement, but I'm, I'm still really excited for this comic. And in some ways I'm glad it's not just, you know, a repeat of what he's already done. Um, though I do still hope that some, some of those characters show up like, um, Jack Hawksmore in particular. I want to see him. It's interesting because I feel like as comics fans, we have this knee jerk reaction to reboots. You know, we don't like reboots, but I feel like everybody is totally fine with Warren Ellis rebooting this. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's, and see, that's the thing. It's like, I think regardless of what this first issue was, it would have taken a lot for me to come out of the gate and just be disappointed in it or, or, you know, even worse, like to, to just disregard it entirely just because I trust Ellis to do this. And the fact that it's even happening is incredible. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Were either of you guys very familiar with John Davis Hump before this? No, but man, this is incredible art. Yeah, he was on a Vertigo book. What was he just on? I think it was Clean Room. It was Clean Room, yes. And I never gave that book a chance, not because I didn't want to. I just it slipped through the cracks. Yeah, and same. I feel I feel like reading this makes me really, really want to go back and check that out. Mm. Yeah, the the scenes with the engineer where she where she's transforming and and flying off were so good so dynamic i loved the like the page um where it like splits into like the different size panels and you have the smaller ones each like detailing like a a little thing that was cool and then just um his, his like ability to to convey emotion is really good through facial expressions and things like that um yeah it was so good and then um the colorist is um Ivan Placencia. Yeah, right. Who um, worked with Capullo, I believe, on Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can totally tell too. Like, yeah, like yeah, that it totally looks it, like the color looks like Snyder's Batman. Mm-hmm. I'll also say this about uh, Davis Hunt's work. I think with a book like this, it can be very easy to over technologize things. To make everything look super high tech and super complex, and uh, you know beyond all understanding of what we currently know, and while there is a little bit of that, it never loses its tether to reality. Yeah, totally. And I think that's really important for a book like this. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree. Um, the like, the the in particular. The design um, of Angela's like robot suit, you know, that like comes out of her body. Yeah, it's like it's like clunky and military in a way that I feel is pretty realistic for like a 
a sort of near future setting, mm-hmm. you know, there's like all these little, there's like all these little flaps and moving parts and stuff hanging off of it. And, um, yeah, the way he renders that is really cool. It reminded me the, like the transformation scene reminded me a lot of Aeon Flux for some reason. Okay. Like when the metal is like coming out of her body, like it just reminds me of like the sort of like a gross body horror kind of thing that used to happen on that oh, cartoon. Man. That's a throwback to a bad date I had once. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Are you talking about the Charlize Theron movie? Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, the movie's terrible. Um, I remember watching Ian Flux on Liquid Television on MTV there you back go. in the day. So that scared the crap out of me when I was. Oh there. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, anything else to say about the Wildstorm? I'm just really excited for what this is setting up for the Wildstorm line in general, and and like I really like the idea that like just looking at the cover, you've got one through twenty four. You know, yeah, that's that's it. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm just I'm just excited that like, okay, this is my like one twenty fourth of this series. And it's just going to be this like little compartmentalized thing. And we're going to know exactly how much we're getting. And like, I like, (laughs) I don't know. It's just and this it just worked so well for me that that I'm, I'm totally invested in this now. I recommend everybody out there go to Kieran Gillen's Twitter. He did like a nice thread today about reading the comic, and it's it's very good. I feel like Kieran Gillen is somebody who is very thoughtful about comics, both as a creator and as a reader. And this little thread he goes on kind of touches on both of those things. He mentions the trade dress and having the one through twenty four on there and how ballsy that is, and talks about the the nine panel grid. It's, it's a lot of really great stuff in there, so check it out. Um, that brings us to Batwoman Rebirth number one, written by uh, Marguerite Bennett and James Tynan IV, and illustrated by Steve Epting. Uh, you know, we had the treasure trove of Ben Oliver art last month in, in Detective Comics to get us ready for this, but I don't think anything prepared me for just how perfect of a fit Steve Epting would be for this book. But my goodness, is he a perfect fit for this book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this was really uh, good. This was really, really good. <laughs> um, and and yeah, just the way it kind of like, I would almost like argue that this is like a near perfect rebirth issue because it did a great job of touching on. Um, like like current recent stuff for the character, um, like pre New Fifty Two stuff, even new and then New Fifty Two stuff, and just telling like a really, you know, just like a well done story with it. Like, oh, I I really liked this a lot. Yeah, um, I know we've complained in the past about rebirth issues and how they're regurgitating a lot of information that we already know in a way that's not particularly interesting. I thought Marguerite Bennett um, did an incredible job at taking a bunch of stuff that we did already know about the character and intercutting it with new information and presenting the information we already knew in such a short and sweet way that, 
that if you know you could just cut right through it you know you just boom and it's and it's done you know and it, even like though you butter. already yeah, <laughs> yes like like butter like butter <laughs> uh this issue made me verklempt <laughs> talk amongst yourselves um <laughs> no but but I, I I loved the timeline of it and and you know the moments that we we already knew they were she hit the highlights and then moved on to something we didn't know and just it was such like a delicate dance through uh, Kate Kane's life and then to end <laughs> again like well, uh, let's skip that for a second let's okay. let's come back to that at the end all right all right because right. um, we're gonna talk about that yeah. a lot um. But, you know, what I think is so great about what both of you guys, you know, have already highlighted here is that this is essentially, I mean, you could hand this comic to somebody who's never read a Batwoman story before. And, of course, you know, the the meeting, the her and Renee meeting is not going to mean all that much to a new reader, whereas that means the world to us, right? But it gives you, like, this is the Cliff's Notes of that entire character. This is a 10 or 11 years of comics distilled into one comic without feeling like you're just getting the greatest hits. Like, it's all there. It really is, yeah. I um, mean, except for the part where she was a vampire. <laughs> that's kind of there. It, it's kind I know. I'm just, I just wanted to... <laughs> I just wanted to... Uh, yes, there is. I believe there is, like, a scene of that but that was just such a silly time it was <laughs> um all right so i briefly mentioned the epting before but i mean this is truly an inspired pairing of character and creator yeah i mean this is i mean it's like it's like his work on velvet all over again you know yeah He's doing some of the same stuff with the panels and and but it but it totally worked. I mean, it's something that's also very Batman, you know. Batman very epting. <laughs> there it is. Oh, and he's you know, and he's still there. There's this um, kind of, you know, J.H. Williams really kind of set the you know the textbook way of of like drawing a a batwoman comic right and i you still see hints of that here in a lot of the pages yeah i mean jh williams is sort of even though he did not design the costume i don't believe i don't he, i don't believe so his work has just become so identified with the character it's sort of hard to unsee his touch all over this yeah but I will say that, and I've said this in the past, the costume, I, I think this is the best designed DC costume of the last, like, 20 years. It's a perfect design. And I think it's pretty hard to mess up. And, you know, it, skipping ahead to Mother Panic for a second here, like, we see the costume show up in Mother Panic, and it looks great, but there's a certain, all the greatest Batwoman comics have a certain just polish to them. And I think Epting really follows through with the J.H. Williams, Amy Reader tradition of just, you know, really polished, beautiful-looking comics. 
Yeah. All right. So we get at the end of the issue five or yeah, five sort of glimpses to the future of Batwoman. And we were just talking last week, maybe it was, or two weeks ago, about how this is catnip for us <laughs> and how we love this more than anything. So the first thing we get is Kate without a cowl, just like in a militarized version of the Bat costume with a, a big-ass gun, <laughs> uh, who is she's approaching Gotham, and she says, open fire. Uh, first of all, how badass is that redesigned costume? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I was, I'm, not, where is this going? <laughs> I have no idea. Now, let, let's look at the logo on her chest there for a second. Mm-hmm. Is that just like a more streamlined bat logo? Or is that an A within there? Or I don't. Is, I mean, this is supposed to be like the colony people, right? I think so. I can't remember like what their logo has been. If that, if this is like a play on that, but maybe kind of more like bat-like. I yeah. don't know. It's badass. It's badass. <laughs> yeah. It's really awesome. She has. She has. Uh, yeah. I mean, it does. It does look like her mask, kind of. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is this is crazy. Like this is this has like major implications for detective comics. Yeah, absolutely. I have to think that's how James uh Tynan end up ended up with his name on this too, you know, like just they sat down to figure out like the next couple of years or whatever how it's going to connect. Yeah, is he is this the only issue he's co-writing, I believe or is he so. doing like the first few? Or maybe it's the first arc. I'm not sure now. Okay, I kind of I thought maybe it was the first arc, but I wasn't sure. Let's see. Uh, yeah, it looks like he uh, he's doing a few issues. It looks like. Okay. Cool. So then we get four more quick teases here. Um, let's see. We have oh, my my computer's being annoying. What's the first one we see here, guys? Um, it's her fighting uh, a character named Tahani, which I think is that that's the character that we see like midway through the issue in like the Lost Year. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um. um and then we have some Batwoman screaming, and we have someone talking over it, but it says, fear is a sacrament. And, uh, you know, she's like, she's freaking out, and you can see sort of her her thoughts being all jarbled and kind of just uh, psychedelic weirdness. Then we get, I guess... Is is the second one supposed to? Sorry, is the third one supposed to reflect back to the first one? Is that supposed to be Tahani again? No, I think that's. Um, I think that's Renee, isn't it? It might be. And then the fourth one is uh, with her sister. And uh, man, this, these four things look awesome. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh... Whatever's going, I mean, 
this feels really big, whatever's going on. Yes, I agree. This has me so excited. For, not that I was not excited for this book beforehand. I was very excited for this book beforehand. But seeing all of this just makes me feel like my my overall feeling at DC right now is just that there's a plan in place for all this stuff. And I'm a sucker for a plan. Mm-hmm. To uh, to quote the A-team, I love when a plan comes together. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, th- this is this is great. Anything else to add about this issue? No, I'm, I'm, I'm really psyched that Marguerite Bennett has a, a Rebirth book now, and um, I think she's great, and I think this book is going to be great. I, I, it really feels like something special. I hope Epting sticks around for at least a couple arcs. Yeah, or maybe gets an arc off here and there, but, you know, it's part of a rotation of some sort. Yeah. All right, that brings us to Super Sons, number one, written by Pete Tomasi, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. Um, I think it's fair to say that this might be collectively the book we've been most excited for for the longest, right? Because this book was announced back in April. Or was it March, actually? It was like in the original announcement. Yeah, it was was with a different creative team. Uh-huh. Uh, but we knew that there was going to be a a, uh, a John and Damien book. We've been excited about this book for almost a year now, and we're finally getting it. And uh, it was um, it was pretty great, guys. You guys, this is like this book is the best. <laughs> if I had to make a top, like you know how we did our top ten coming out of Rebirth. Yeah. If I had to make a top ten, this would be this would rank very highly already. <laughs> yeah. This would be top five just, already. Although, just remember what every... happened to Trinity, guys? Hey, no, no. that's no. not going to happen to this. Everything. There's so many things that happen in this issue. Every basically everything that Damien does. <laughs> the bus driver. He, he dresses up as an old bus driver and actually drives the bus to school. That's. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Oh. And just uh, the his his superman in this is just Tomasi just has superman down. Yeah. The the scene where he is flying off and and he he's saying goodbye to Lois and John, like that's just that's just so superman. Especially juxtaposed with with Bruce running off and just telling Damon to do his homework. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, man, Jorge Jimenez's art is just no, it's perfect. so fun, so fun, just so playful, like just ah, Damien and John like bounding around, so good, and like that poor kid that's getting pelted with like rock-filled snowballs. Mm-hmm. I felt bad for... Like, I, I physically felt bad for him. <laughs> and he's a comic book character. Yeah. But, like, just the way it was done... Man, there's so, there's so much heart in this book. This might be the most rebirthy books yet. And we've said that a few times now. But, like, this has all of the benchmarks that we like about rebirth. It has heart... It's about legacy. The art is really expressive and fun. It's it's heavy on the Superman 
you know, everything about it is, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's so good. Yeah. I said, I said this in comics should be cheap, but, um, there was a time not that long ago when it felt like DC was doing everything they could to like destroy or actively ignore their youthful characters. Right. Yeah. And this book with a top flight creative team is completely embracing all of that again. There's this amazing page. It's a panel. It's towards the end of the issue. It's reminiscent of the Dark Knight Returns <laughs> trade dress, yeah. where it's John and Damien against the lightning-filled black sky, blue sky, and it's, oh, God, I want that tattooed on my face. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. John, like, John leaping because he can't and, fly. Yeah, the dialogue there is, like, just so fun. And... Yeah. <laughs> But like Damien is is swinging in a way that if you showed anybody that image and said what back character is that you'd say oh that's Damien of course yeah. like it's yep. just it's the perfect encapsulation of those two characters. Um, I I want to I don't want to say counter something Vince said but kind of build on it. Vince said you know this is a top notch creative team. Like Jorge Jimenez has been doing good work for a while now. But a year ago, would we have been half as excited about him on this book as we are right now? Like, Rebirth has made that guy a star. It's definitely raised his his profile a lot, but I feel like I, I've I've liked Jimenez for a long time, at least since I think he did, like, that Superboy run with um, Adam Cooter. Yeah. I think that Adam was, like, Cooter. when I first, uh, first really, like, took note of him and it's like yeah this guy um he has potential but it is great to like see him like other people at dc recognizing that as well yeah we also get a uh a lex luthor appearance yeah. which you know goes to show you everyone in, in at dc loves to write lex luthor <laughs> except the guy who has to dan jurgens who <laughs> hates that character and fucks him up whenever he can uh yeah but yeah. I, uh, what do you guys think? I think it's really interesting how the, these two books that we've talked about now, um, Super Sons and Batwoman, kind of act as companion books to other Rebirth books, but, mm-hmm. but still stand really well on their own. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that this is, this is the type of thing that DC used to be really bad at. Like, remember a couple of years ago when it seemed like they were never spinning off fun books from their regular titles. I'm trying yeah, to think of like, an example. Uh, the Ravagers spinning out of Teen Titans. Yeah, like that was you know a terribly dour, <laughs> not fun at all spinoff that nobody was asking for. But this reminds me of like when when both DC and Marvel are at their best. It's just you start to see the effortless world building, where like a character gets popular or a uh, a team pops up in the background of a book. And there's just this feeling that once that's spun off, it's going to be great. And I love nothing more than that. And if you've been reading Superman, you can't have not been loving John. He's just such a great character. You want him to do something else. But I think that giving John his own book right now is probably a little bit much. So this is the perfect solution to that. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of like the logical, um, you know, melding of both his. Tomasi's Superman work and his Batman and Robin work. Yeah. You know, 
and I and I love that they've repurposed the old uh, like Superman Batman logo for this. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So good. Yeah, it is. It is so so good. Um, all right, so we're gonna take a break from the reviews for a second. Now we're gonna talk about some news that broke this week. Let's start. Uh, I- I'm gonna change the order we talked about, guys, just to uh, just to make things feel a little bit nicer. Uh, we're getting a, a 12 issue Bane maxi series, <laughs> and this is something I'm I'm slightly conflicted about. On one hand, I like that DC is doing more miniseries. We've talked about the Dead Man book being quite good. We've talked about the death of Hawkman being enjoyable. You know, we're going to get to a not-so-enjoyable miniseries in a little bit here, but I like that DC is taking a chance on some of this stuff. I also like that they see that there are stories to be told with Bane that aren't just him being weirdly motivated in Tom King's Batman, but I think there's, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, and I think this comes in part from my my music fandom, where like you always want to see the original lineup of a band back together, right? Like it's 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 always a bummer when a band is a missing member and you wish they would come back and join the fold again. And so the idea of bringing back Bane's co-creators uh, Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan for this book, in one on one hand, is very satisfying. On the other hand, do you guys think they have anything left original to say about Bane? Of course. <laughs> they were born in the darkness. Let the miniseries begin. Molded by you it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I almost think that that, at least for me, that that phenomenon of getting the original band back together, um, I almost never want that in comics because it almost never pays off. Right. Yeah. Like, we have, even... We have... We have tons of examples of like Marv Wolfman <laughs> books, yeah, or Jim Starlin, yeah, yeah. Um, is Bane going to be nude throughout this entire? <laughs> I don't believe so. Sadly, for all those Bane heads out there. Okay, here's here's my thing. Is there anybody that was asking for more Bane after Tom King's Bane, like arc? I'm, that's, I mean, it's not even over yet, but I don't know. I don't need I don't any. More. I don't need Cor- more of that corporate synergy. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's. It seems like a weird choice. I don't know. I it, this isn't it's not for me, that, that's for sure. But the ever vigilant DC three will be there to cover it when. At least the first issue. At least, yeah. <laughs> that should be our tagline: the DC three cast. At least the first issue. Um, in much more exciting miniseries news, in news that uh. <laughs> that had one member of our podcast who will remain nameless describe this as pure sex. Um, <laughs> we are getting a Forager the Bug miniseries as part of Young Animal, done by the All Reds, written by Lee, illustrated by Mike, colored by Laura. Um, 
guys, <laughs> this is so great. Oh, didn't I just say I wanted some new gods in Young Animal? You did. Uh, he was the sex one, you guys. It was, it was Zach who said that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can hear it. He's 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 getting hot and heavy over there. How does something like this even happen? I don't because know. Because people are listening to Big Pharma. That's why. <laughs> I hate that name. <laughs> I hate that so much. Oh. I'll have to cancel the t-shirt order then, I guess. <laughs> you, guys, you guys know what a big fan of Mike Allred I am. Yeah. Like, it is a dream to have him doing stuff at DC beyond uh, covers. The variant here Batman and there, 66. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm excited on those grounds. Zach gets his new gods, Kirby inclusion. Brian, what's what's what are you in for here? I mean, you're talking to a guy who ordered from Allred himself his adaptation of the Book of Mormon. <laughs> so, like, you know, I am I am an I'm an Allred super fan as well, and uh, like musical. No, no, oh. like he <laughs> he adapted the religious text into a comic. Oh, okay, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, are you aware that he's a Mormon? No. There you I go. Wasn't. See, just just dropping knowledge left and right. Huh. Um, I, I was hoping he adapted. Uh, uh, Hello, my name is Father Price, <laughs> <laughs> or Brother Price, or whatever it is. I have not seen or heard the Book of Mormon yet, so. Oh, okay. I, I'm that weirdo who doesn't listen to a show until he sees it in person. Mm-hmm. So I have still not heard Hamilton. Oh, so you're not like me who has only listened to it and will never get to go see it because it's impossibly expensive. Yeah. Hey, if the DC3 cast comes out to New York Comic Con, we'll try and get some Broadway in. I'm not even kidding. <sighs> I'd love that. Vince, you're not a big Hamilton fan, though, are you? I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I, I don't, I haven't heard any of Hamilton or anything. I, the thing that bugs me is when people write like a think piece saying I am a different person than I was before I sat down and watched Hamilton. <laughs> like that really bot like, you know, hey, I love Super Sons, but I am not a different person after reading Super Sons number one. <laughs> like that that to me I I just don't like the way people talk about it. I've got nothing against it. I just I hate when we have these like cultural phenomenons that people are like go way overboard in their effusive like like how did I live before I heard Lynn Manuel Miranda's poetry, you know? Like I'm also the I'm also the type of guy who instinctively rebels against that. So it's hard for me to hear that and not hate the show. But so many people that I trust really love it. Yeah. So wait, so neither of you guys have listened to it? I have heard the bit that was like on the Grammys last year, but I don't. I don't listen to a, a cast recording until I see the show. Guys, you need to listen to it so we can talk about it. <laughs> um, insert the uh, listen to the shins; they'll change your life. GIF from uh, Garden State, right here. Um, yeah. See, you know how long it took me to decide that the shins were actually okay after that. <laughs> A long time. 
Um, too much, Zach Braff. Yeah, well, <laughs> too much is his middle name, so. Um. <laughs> something, something, uh, scrubs. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Forage of the Bug. Um, yeah, this is like. What's crazy to me is of all the characters for DC to do a miniseries about, is there any less likely new god than Forager? <laughs> In Young Animal, I'm not so sure. I guess that's true. I, I do think this might be setting the stage for more new god stuff down the road at at either DC proper or Young Animal. Oh man, I hope so. And it's just it's good. It's, it's just the perfect place for it. Yeah. Like Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um and now in by far the weirdest DC news of the week. <laughs> so y'all are aware that DC has been doing these Hanna Barbera books that are, you know, kind of updated takes on on classic Hanna-Barbera properties. You're also aware that recently DC is cro- is going to cross over with all of them in their annuals for, for March, I believe. So we're going to see things like Space Ghost and Green Lantern and all that. Well, today, a press release was released with four promo images. And I'm just going to run through the, the pairings here. Um, Batman and Elmer Fudd. Jonah <laughs> El- Hex and... El- Elmer Fudd uh, uh, killed Batman's parents, by the way. It's canon now. It's canon now, okay. Uh, he, uh, be very, very quiet. I'm hunting plutocrats. <laughs> uh, uh, we got Jonah Hex and Yosemite Sam and what may or may not be Foghorn Leghorn? We don't really know. That Yes, that for sure is Foghorn Leghorn. I feel like there's many anthropomorphized chicken in the, in the Looney Tunes universe. Um, oh, but, but think kidding. about it. I'm kidding. Yeah. Of course, it's Foghorn Leghorn. Uh, Lobo alongside Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. And last but certainly not least, the Martian Manhunter with Marvin the Martian. I say, I say, the war of northern aggression <laughs> has not come to an end yet. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so we have no idea what this is, if this is like a one-shot book that has four stories, if this is a miniseries, if this is a, a series of new ongoings. We don't know what it is. Not that. <laughs> oh, God, I hope it's a Martian Chronicles ongoing with Marvin and the Manhunter. John and Marvin. Can anybody do a good Marvin? I'm not even going to try. No. Uh, anyway, what do you guys make of this? It, it, does does this benefit DC at all? Or does this just benefit Looney Tunes? Or does this benefit nobody? I mean, I guess they're having some success with these, like, you know, with, like, the Hanna-Barbera stuff. And so... There has to be some financial reason that they would do this. I mean, Vince, you love Flintstones, so... Um... Flint's, Flint's, okay, Flintstones is very good. And I love the idea of these 
Hanna-Barbera books. But... But Scooby and Apocalypse. I, but Scooby... but And Wacky Raceland was dire. Okay? Yeah. And this... This, to me, just in the way that these characters are depicted, I mean, you look at the at the Coyote and Roadrunner, uh, the, like the, the iterations of them on this cover, that's airing on the side of Wacky Raceland rather than Doc Shaner, you know. Although, I do sort of love the idea of Lobo hunting the Roadrunner. Yeah, I mean, I mean, conceptually, I've got no problem with any of this stuff. I've just... The way the execution has been the problem, you know. Like I, I kind of, I sort of love the idea of like Sc- Scooby in a zombie apocalypse. Like that's that's a fine idea. It's just a a, a mediocre Giffen comic where they like needle one another with the same shitty dialogue <laughs> as Blue Beetle and like Wacky Raceland being like a Mad Max esque sort of racing thing you know again like an apocalyptic type thing again that's like a solid concept but then the comic was just like ugly and like purposely gross and vulgar and with with like no payoff for that you know there, there was no, there was nothing like clever or truly humorous about it that made that a good idea and like the Flintstones is really the one for me Future Quest kind of plays it pretty straight. Like, they don't do much with those concepts other than mash them together. Right. Um, But, like, Flintstones is the one that actually succeeds in taking these characters, changing their appearance a little bit to, I guess, modernize them or, or, or make them more mature, I guess, and then mixes it with, like, a relevance and a humor that's actually... Like, actually hits its mark, you know? And I just feel like like the concepts are there, but they just don't actually hit the mark in execution. And I worry, based on these covers alone, that it's going to be more of that, you know? Yeah. But if people like them, I mean, that's fine. It's just, I wish they would go more towards the tone of, like, Flintstones or, or, or playing it straighter like Future Quest does. It'll be interesting to see how those crossover issues go. The Hanna-Barbera ones first. Yeah, yeah. I think some of those ideas... I, I, I liked those covers, you know? Mm-hmm. I just I just think these are kind of, like, a little ugly, you know? Like, I don't know. They're just... They make these... They make these really, like, elegant and simple characters just kind of, like, deformed and gross. <laughs> They definitely go a little bit, I think, too far into the direction of uh, of trying to make the the Looney Tunes characters feel like they could exist in the real world, <laughs> and there's no reason for that. Yeah, I don't need to see why the Coyote in a spacesuit. Well, we've seen <laughs> that they can do it just fine and stay like as cartoon characters, right? Yeah, in, in the classic Space Jam. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they don't have to look realistic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Newman was in that movie. <laughs> Newman. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, Brian, I liked your idea that, that Foghorn Leghorn was going to be an Alex Jones-esque <laughs> yep. uh, 
uh, alt-right radio host. I feel like he has the right cadence to really get people to listen to him. Yeah, I, I do too. I say, I say, Hillary Rodham Clinton and Barack Hussein Obama do smell of the sulfur of the <laughs> demons from hell. I have seen the flies attract to their bodies. Right? You can... Absolutely. Yeah. Do both he and Porky Pig sometimes get so lost in their own, like, stutters that they have to change words? Or is it just a Porky Pig thing? <laughs> Where Porky Pig would be like, you know, um... Son of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. Regardless, this is going to be a mess, but maybe a fun mess. So we'll see. But let's get back to the books, guys. We got Aquaman, number 17, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Scott Eaton. This is the beginning of a new arc, Warhead. And um, it it's uh, it does a few interesting things, but to me this might be the... Uh, the goofiest Aquaman book yet? With yeah. His, with this him was, at the UN? It was fine. Yeah. I like how his, like, his Secret Service, like, tag is fish stick. <laughs> that was, that was predictable, but fun. Uh, so disrespectful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what's your, what's your power? Talking to fish? Come on. I did like how um, we essentially got what we talked about a few weeks ago, and we got Aquaman as Don Draper seeing a dead person in front of him, wherever he went. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't his brother. It wasn't the uh, Ocean Master, but it was still seeing a dead person. Um, no, I mean, this was, this is a fine issue. I, I think that this book has earned my trust at this point you know like this this may not have been my favorite issue of the run so far but it's fine and i know that the book's going to recover from it and do something more fun yeah 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 i thought you know i think scott eaton normally does a pretty solid fill-in job but i thought there was some weird art stuff in this one Mm -hmm. um just i don't know some goofy faces and and just I don't know. I I was kind of laughing at Aquaman getting blown up in the end just because of the way that it was kind of depicted. Um Yeah, I don't know. It was the art was a little wonky for me. I but, understand that. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, just a solid very much in tone Dan Abnett's been doing. Well, that brings us to Batman, number 17, written by Tom King, illustrated by David Finch. Um, So we get a couple different things that are not bad in theory, but are definitely Tom Kinged up in this issue. (laughs) Like, I like the idea of Bruce reaching out to Superman to try and save the Robins. I have no problem with that as as a plot device. But of course, they make Batman and Superman's relationship as boring as possible. <laughs> um, and then the idea of like having Alfred force the psycho pirate to help Gotham Girl again is interesting. But this, I, I feel like 
King has a fetish of of making uh, Alfred just uh, just a real unlikable character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. Um, and I like how Batman's like, I can never use a gun, but Alfred put a gun to the Psycho Pirate's <laughs> head for four days. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't dislike this issue. There were th- some things that I liked. Uh, I guess kind of like you, you know, like you, like you said, Brian. On on their own, there are some things that aren't bad, but are just kind of weird. And you know, there's still kind of like a lot of the typical things that we've seen, like the cawing. Yeah. Yeah. I did like the Duke and Gordon stuff. Yeah, that was good. I love. I cheered when like Duke leapt in, but then he immediately got punked. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I like this. There's a there's an interaction here where Gordon asks him uh, why he, you know, essentially why he's why there, he and he says like, you know. Bruce, you know, uh, Batman says it's too dangerous. So then, why are you here? And he says, "I don't know. I shouldn't be. Why are you here?" And Gordon just says, "Yeah." You know, it's like, it was a nice bit of both of them just showing how maybe in all of Gotham, those are the two like most earnest, well-intentioned characters. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a nice moment. I thought, yeah, you know. Here's my thing with this book. When it's bad, it's bad. And we've spent a lot of time talking about why that is. But when it, but even when it's good and like I think this is a pretty I like I kind of like last issue and this is a solid enough issue but there's still these like tra- these like sort of superficial trappings that I just can't get past. And I feel like I can almost see what Tom King and the artists are going for. Like, like Zach said, with the cawing, like towards the end and Bane with that flare in his hand. Like I, I get like, I, I can, I can see the wheels turning. I can see the tone and the pacing of that scene that, that King and Finch are going for. And it just, for some reason, doesn't work for me. Like, it's just, like, corny or overdone. And and even in the good issues, I feel that way. Like, I get to the end, and I think, like, all right, I like, like, the sequence of events, but there's all this stuff that I can point to then that annoyed me about it along the way, you know? And, uh... I just I guess I mean we're 17 issues in now and I can't get past some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I uh and again like I you know I also just like I wasn't very into Bane in the I am suicide arc. I'm I'm not that into Bane right now. <laughs> um so there's that too. Yeah. 
Like and I would, we're going to love... be into him for an entire miniseries. <laughs> no, right. That so... miniseries will be molto bene. <laughs> molto bene. <laughs> I meant to get that joke out before. I'm glad I came back now. <laughs> oh my. That is like the that is the diametric opposite of a Chuck Dixon written Bane series. Yeah. But Don Bane, my son. <laughs> Molto bene. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye, number five. <laughs> written by Gerard Way and John Rivera. Illustrated by Michael Avon Oming. Back up by Tom Scioli. Um... There's a lot of sort of downloading of information in this issue, but I think it did a good job of continuing to create this. This whole first arc is a lot of world building for this series. Let's be fair, but I think it it had some interesting stuff about the underworld. Uh, that's not what it's called here. What is the name of the place that they are? Um. Y'all know what I mean. It, it gave a nice, a nice sort of bit about their culture. It had a nice. Um, it showed Cave's daughter tripping balls a little bit. Uh, it gave a nice wild dog moment. There was a really funny bit about calling Superman. At oh, the end that of the was issue. my favorite. Yeah, that the the, the the like the comedic timing of that was really good. Yeah. And the was, fact uh, that he actually called a cell phone yeah. <laughs> that, like, that got the like the number has been changed or not in the service message, yeah. you know. Was uh is this the first instance of um nudity that we've gotten in Young Animal? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so, yeah. Oh wait, Mother Panic might have had some. Okay, I can't remember. I can't remember I don't, either. I don't know. I don't think it did, but um Shade the Changing Girl does, but there's no it's like it's yeah. It's yeah there's no like, there's no nipples. Basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which again is like not a big deal, but it's it is interesting, like how they're kind of slowly pushing the boundaries of what young animal is. Yeah. Um, because you know that kind of this kind of thing is like been in vertigo, you know, for decades. But coming into this, I think we were all kind of wondering where young animal would fall. Yeah. in terms of what it was allowed to do and it seems like it, it's allowed to do you know quite a bit yeah yeah brian texted me an eggplant emoji after he read this issue weirdly. <laughs> i did not do anything of the sort <laughs> i won't even go along with me on that one. It, it wouldn't be the first time i've texted you an eggplant emoji <laughs> but it was not in relation to this oh, i i text <laughs> Eggplant emojis regularly. Yeah. <laughs> um, not that else, I hope. This. No. Uh, Michael Obing's work, again, is great here. This book is so visually interesting. Yeah. Again, the part, like, like I love the, I love the um, pace, the visual pacing of the time that he tries to call Superman and then everything after that. Yep. Like, he throws down the phone, and it's so dramatic, and then all of a sudden he starts having, like, that, that like, vision or, like, panic attack or whatever he's having. Yeah. Oh, and it's, just, the, it's really visually fun. 
uh, that sequence especially to me. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Uh, and then we get more um, Tom Shealy superpowers. Oh, God. <laughs> this week we get like a Batman 89, Batman and Joker. <laughs> yeah. Joker can kill you through the page. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, the the giant Brainiac skull with the tentacles. Oh, yeah. That was great. I mean, look, every week we're just talking about how great this these, these backups are. And they are truly great. I actually got to talk to Shioli last week about his new webcomic. And he said that one of the things that's been interesting about working on superpowers is he knows he only has three pages every month. And so it's helped him to really work on like how how he can squeeze in as much as possible per page. Mm-hmm. And he certainly does that. Yeah, I mean, to the point where, like, I guess initially I thought the stuff with the Wonder Twins and everything else was kind of separate, like separate stories going on. And, I mean, they they very well still could be, except that, like, within the same page and within the same sequence of panels, they, like, flip between that and the Batman stuff that's going on, you know? Yeah. So, so now I don't even know what to think. Like I thought these were like individual vignettes maybe, and now they're folding in on one another in really interesting ways. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just so surprising every month when we, when we get this, we get a very eighties Supergirl at the end. Yep. Very like what? What would you say? That's like a Jane Fonda That's Supergirl a, or something. It's a Matrix Supergirl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. All right. That brings us to Green Arrow number seventeen, written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Otto Schmidt. Um. So this issue very much read like a Scott Snyder Batman issue, <laughs> like in the in the talking about the tree. And why it's a good tree for bow making and all of that, but I felt You're that, right. but I felt that it worked here pretty well. I'm glad that the book is willing to um, really go deep with the uh, with with the bad guys. I forget the name of that organization now. The the. Ninth Circle. Isn't Ninth it? Circle, yeah, yeah. The Dante's Infernos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I like how how just their book is making them pure evil. I think that this is again every issue of this book does really good things. I don't th- I don't think every issue of the book does great things, but I thought this is one of the strongest issues so far. Uh, the ending was surprising with Diggle sort of saving Malcolm Merlin's life. Um, I enjoyed the issue. What'd you guys think? Yeah, that was a, that was a very effective, uh, twist at the end. You know, it was nothing earth shattering, but like, oh, all of a sudden there's a bit of relationship intrigue here. Um, you know, it's, it's very simple, but it's well done. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I love, 
they've tried to do this a lot with Green Arrow, where they break him down and build him back up, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was a little bit disappointed to see them doing that again with Rebirth, and yet I think this is one of the better versions of that that I've ever seen. Like, I, I totally buy this sort of, like, I guess literal rebirth of the character. Um, yeah. We just had on the site this week a multiversitycomics.com for those that maybe aren't aware. I don't know who you are, but go ahead. Uh, check it out for the first time if you haven't already. Uh, there's an article we wrote that was written by one of our newest writers. His name is Oscar. And it was about sort of the history of Green Arrow. And one of the points that he makes is that sort of Green Arrow has changed considerably a number of times and how what we think of now as Green Arrow is sort of this amalgamation of all of the past versions. You know, we get the Playboy stuff that when he was the Batman knockoff, we get the social justice warrior stuff from when he was teaming with Green Lantern. We get the sort of living in the woods from the longbow hunters, right? Like a little bit of all that together. And I think this book touches on all of those things and doesn't really ignore any of it but also it doesn't feel just completely redundant yeah zach what do you think about this book um i i really guess i don't have much more to add uh you know on top of what you guys have already said um i do think that this book really is like settling into a really, a really good rhythm. Um, I think we kind of talked about how in the last issue that the, the cast has really settled. Um, they're doing some really interesting things. Um, I, I like the, the stuff they're doing with Emmy and having her take the, the red arrow mantle. And it seems like we might get some uh, follow up to that in terms of like Roy's past and, and upcoming issues. But, um, yeah, this just, like, this is actually maybe, like, the first issue that, you know, I, I just read it, and, and I felt like, yeah, this, this fits. This, this feels good. Um, and, 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 of course, Otto Schmidt is, is fantastic every single time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I liked this issue. I don't love the last page but what what about that don't you love i just just think it's silly Uh, i think it's silly whenever comics try to rationalize comic booky things so so uh, well first of all i wasn't is, is star city not a thing right now in dc comics yeah i don't think it's been a thing since the new 52 52. yeah see i wasn't sure about that so i guess we'll talk about the last page shows um the one of the reporters the one who was uh, who survived the the attempted assassination a few a few issues back and he Um, wants to bone down with the green arrow totally wants to the arrow almost pierced her heart um (laughs) she's looking at a map of seattle and at the center, uh, like where where Queen Industries is, is centered, it's in it's in the middle of a of a, a pentagram, a star, 
that's made by I, I guess landmarks in Seattle, and so it's it's a star city, and and that's how the issue ends. And I just I saw that and I just kind of like rolled my eyes a little bit, which maybe that's just me being like cynical, I, having read DC Comics too long or whatever. But I just I don't know. I mean, you're not wrong. It's totally cheesy. But I feel like it's cheesy in line with what this book has been so far. I guess. <laughs> I also, maybe maybe it's just because I've seen this trope of, of drawing things on maps to make symbols one too many times. That's fair, too. <laughs> That's very fair. All right, that brings us to Green Lanterns, number 17, written by Sam Humphreys, illustrated by uh, Eduardo Pansica. Uh, and this is the second part of the Darkest Nights storyline where Batman shows up, or I guess they show up on Batman's turf. And, um... Oh, man, guys, oh, guns boy. are bad. Yeah, yeah this, guns, guns are bad. If you guys watched last night's episode of Arrow, it was basically an hour of saying guns are bad. <laughs> but that was still less... Uh, over the top than this is. Speaking of a book that hasn't found its rhythm. We thought it was getting there for a while with with, with our beloved Frank, Frank Leminski. Yeah. We and lost I actually, the Leminsk. <laughs> we yeah. lost the Leminsk. We're I still lamenting Leminsky, Leminsky. baby. Yeah. <laughs> still lamenting Leminsky. <laughs> Leminsky. <laughs> there we go. I, 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 do, I Okay, there's one thing I like about this issue, and it's because it's a thing that I like about superhero comics. I love when you've got multiple of a type of superhero. So we've got, you know, over 9,000 Green Lanterns now that, uh, that we know of. And I love when they find, like, a unique angle into a character that they're trying to feature but it's part of a line of characters that all have the same powers. So, like, I love the fact that Batman approaches Simon this way, and he ends up saying, you're the Green Lantern I can work with. I can't work with Hal. I can't work with uh, Guy. He's an idiot. I can work with you. And I feel like the rest of this comic might not be very good, but I like when... It's sort of I like when comics set up relationships between characters in that way and find unique avenues to relationships through characters that you might not expect. So sure. Like, yeah. Simon didn't Simon doesn't have much of an identity yet relative to the other main Green Lantern characters, right? But now if he's the one that Batman can work with and and Batman will call on him before the other ones later, that's another unique avenue to that character. And so I like that aspect of it, even though I think the issue was really overwrought and sloppy otherwise. Um, so I will say that for it. All right. What's going on on that last page? <laughs> uh... <laughs> Hang on, I have to open it up. I just closed it. Let me see what's done on the last page. There's a mission of utmost importance, and I need my Green Lanterns. And they're, like, twisting in some disgusting, like, (laughs) 
<laughs> like, what is going on? They look like, um, they look uh, like, uh, Fire Marshal Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Fire Marshal Bill. Nothing's as relevant as an In Living Color reference, guys. Anyway, <laughs> it's time for our favorite recurring segment. Hey, Vince, what happened to Harley Quinn this week? Uh, I didn't read it. <laughs> Here we go. It officially <laughs> happened. <laughs> well, it's too bad because it looks like this, the name of this story arc is Nether Regions. <laughs> so you know it was going to be classy. With a name like Nether Regions, it has to be good. Aiming high as always. Nether Regions, the the name of the issue, the subtitle of the issue is Ants and the Pantsless. And the teaser for next issue is, next issue, The Bottomless Pits. So I think a lot of, like, um, I don't know, I guess general jokes or... A lot of poorly, poorly done uh, double entendre. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't read this. I think I'm done. Um, <laughs> until until Rich tells me that the real third Joker appears in Har- in Harley Quinn issue 17 or whatever, I'm gonna stay away from this one. All right, that brings us to Justice League number 15, written by Brian Hitch, illustrated by uh, who did this one? Fernando pa- Passerin. Yeah, for, who who I quite like, actually. I like him too. He, he used to do the um, Green Lantern Corps, right? Uh huh. Yeah. I, did this issue elicited an eggplant as well? Didn't it? I think it <laughs> it did. did. It did from uh, from Yuzak. <laughs> from Mister yeah. Pure Sex. Uh, <laughs> is Mister Pure Sex a better nickname than Big Pharma? Uh, yeah, definitely. I approve. <laughs> okay. Sexual Wilkerson. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, refilling those prescriptions. Um, Pure sex eggplant. That's like a that's a Twitter handle that's waiting to be taken. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That should be your nickname on there. Yeah, Pure sex eggplant. Yeah. Um, so, Zach, tell us what gave you the the eggplant. I think it was you. What? You used it. No, you did. You did. Oh, I thought you meant like what made me like start using the eggplant emoji. Oh uh, no. But from this <laughs> yeah, we're looking for the secret origin of your eggplant emoji usage. <laughs> no, in this issue, we get a Legion reference. Not just a reference. Not just a reference. We actually go to the 31st century and we see Brainiac Five. Yeah, and it ruled. <laughs> yeah, to me that was the only part of the issue that did rule. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, this is just—I feel like every Justice League arc is the same. It's this like unstoppable thing that they have to stop, and it doesn't connect to any other book that's going on right now in any meaningful way. Although there, every issue has like one nod to something happening elsewhere, just so it can appear like it's connected, but it's not. Um, the Justice League is essentially scattered through time in this issue, and Cyborg. It is Cyborg in the 31st century, right? Yeah. 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 And that part was great because I love seeing the Legion. And if and I would have never guessed that the Legion was going to make 
like their next appearance in this Justice League book. I never would have guessed it. I'm looking forward to the Brian Hitch written Legion of Superheroes. Oh, God. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, the other thing that I liked from this issue was I think the, uh, the Green Lantern team went to the 26th century and we met a very interesting looking Earth core of lanterns. Yeah, and we got the, uh, the weaponized Omax from Future's End. So oh, I think I missed that. I don't know if I noticed that. Or at least it appeared that there was there was an, an OMAC, like a okay. floating thing. Okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha, yeah. So this issue did some of that, like, fun alternate, alternate universe, alternate timeline stuff that we like from DC Comics, but very minimally. You know, it wasn't enough of a focus. It didn't take away from what was otherwise another, like, surprisingly dry you know end of the world doomsday scenario yeah we do have another character who seems to be aware of reboots and things happening yeah molly was her name correct molly uh, polly molly yeah molly okay yeah i don't know what her purpose is going to be long term but it seems weird to keep introducing these characters that understand about reboots, but that's just me. Yeah. All right, that brings us to Mother Panic, number three, written by Jody Hauser, illustrated by Tommy Lee Edwards. Um, I think that when this first issue... Well, actually, I'm going to let Vince go first here. Vince, what <laughs> think about this issue? Um, it was okay. Um, I like the art a lot. I, I think it's really doing something different for bat books. Um, but it, it was pretty thin on story. And I think the inclusion of Batwoman was more or less just kind of a tease. She didn't really do anything. Not just Batwoman, but Batman. Batman as well. was there too, yeah. In fact it was it was kind of like a joke to me because as soon as like Batman meets or as soon as Batwoman meets Mother Panic, like it was just an excuse to say fuck you to yeah. Batwoman and say like over in our book we can say the F word. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I will say that I understand from a storytelling perspective, well, if you take if every book to place in Gotham and you're a vigilante, the bats are going to show up at some point. So I understand why they wanted to address that early on in the book. Like That makes total sense to me. But this book, what I was going to say is that I feel like when this started, this being an animal, I really liked this first issue a lot. And I've enjoyed each subsequent issue a little bit less and that's not because it's a bad comic or anything of the like. It's just that, to me, there is so much. There is so much that happens in other comics that when I pick up the next issue, I instantly remember all of it, and I find this is always a struggle to remember what just happened. Yeah, I kind of feel like that too. Like even in this issue, you know, like the funeral scene, I had to like think back, like, okay, who died? What happened? You know, that that kind of thing. Yeah. So, 
yeah it's a it's a fine book i yeah i'm i feel like uh yeah i don't know this is this is one that does feel like it'll it might read better in trade agreed yeah that's a good call did you guys notice that i think like there's a character that looks kind of like gerard way <laughs> yes oh, I, didn't I, I did notice that at the funeral yeah he's like uh, something about his hair and anyway just something i thought while reading it All right, well, that brings us to um, another one of our collective favorite books, Nightline. Oh, man. Number number 15, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Minkyu Young. Guys, what a great, what a great issue. This issue hit me straight in the mummy daddy button. <laughs> 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 to keep the Austin Powers thing going. <laughs> this was so good. This was yeah. so this was so like gut wrenching. I mean, there was nothing subtle about it. If you didn't think that she was an idiot killed in this issue, then we've never seen a, a story before. Not just a comic, but like any kind of story. <laughs> I know you like to say that, but the the that fact that you knew that played in. I mean, you're flipping page after page and just hoping that. Oh, it doesn't absolutely! Happen. No, no, absolutely! It was it was it was well placed. I loved Wally showing up to like talk about girls. Mm-hmm. Loved that. I really enjoyed the. Um, the conversation that Dick has with Bruce about his relationship, mm-hmm. but that was really interesting. And I'm, I'm going to be shipping Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon until the day I die. <laughs> so that scene I really, truly liked as well. That sequence was really great. Just like her realization about the situation. And then like just the perfect reaction like she's she's got disappointment on her face that that dicks with somebody else and then like immediately wants what's best for him, you know. Yeah. It's well, I hope we get some some um Dick Starfire fans come down on us really hard. <laughs> yeah. After after so blatantly siding with the Dick Barbs pairing. <laughs> I I am Dick Barb. So um, That'd be a great name. It is. It is. Uh, I'll also say I liked how young, uh, young, young the artist, or I believe it's pronounced young, not Jung, but young. I like how she rendered. It's a he. It's a he actually. Oh, is it a he? Okay. Yeah. Yep. My apologies. Um, how he rendered Jason looking so youthful. I feel like Jason sometimes looks older than Dick. And I think he did a nice job. <laughs> that's not. That's not. Good. Sometimes we all just look older than Dick. We all get there eventually. <laughs> uh, but like you know, I, I feel like there was a nice job of of Jason. Jason's probably in continuity. What like twenty two? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. He's probably feeling twenty two. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. 
but yeah, he looks. Uh, I like. I like the way that he was rendered in the book. Yeah, Jason. Jason is so Sundari, <laughs> isn't he, Zach? <laughs> no, I've never thought about it, but no, yeah, I, I guess so. I love like I love the very like manga art style here, um, like like Wally winking at. Dick, while he's saying "girls love the tights," yeah, it's just such a like, like that winking is such a like anime thing, <laughs> you know. It's it just really worked for for like a a issue that was very heavy on relationship stuff and and just sweet little moment. Like this was very much, this felt like a slice of life manga issue <laughs> only it was nightwing um i i love i mean for my money aside from the three new series this week i think this was my issue of the week oh it definitely was for me as well now do we think that they're actually going to kill off defacer sean i don't i don't think so Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they handle it because you can't. They advanced their the the relationship between Sean and and uh, Dick a lot in this issue to sort of make it hit home a lot more at the end. Yeah. And so I feel like if they don't kill her off, like they're pretty far in their relationship that like. There's not like there's not a lot there's not like going back from it you know yeah it'd be a stretch for for her to all of a sudden be like we can't be together or for Dick to be like you know I can't let this happen to you we can't you know it's interesting for a a line that has been all about bringing it back to like classic comics roots we've seen a lot of back characters post coital. <sighs> Am I wrong? No, no. I think I think the only one we haven't seen is uh, Damien. <laughs> you know, he's already driving a bus. So that is true. That. Uh, oh, I think Damien is probably like the most asexual of the whole Bat family. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> I feel like that's canon at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Damien just wants to fuck the idea of Damien. Oh, jeez. Anyway, uh, that brings us to Odyssey of the Amazons, number two, guys. And that's all <laughs> that's we have to say. <laughs> okay, this is just a Thor story repurposed for the Amazonians, isn't it? But just the most generic Thor story you can imagine. Oh, I, I Wilkerson the fuck out of this book, so I have no idea what this issue did. <laughs> there were some Valkyries and some Viking stuff, and yeah, literally Thor and Valkyrie from Marvel Comics show up in this comic. They're not called that, but that's it's them. <laughs> the most interesting thing is um, Morpheus gets name dropped from from Sandman. How does, uh, how does that work? 
Uh, they're just talking about, I think one of the Amazon characters says something about like getting having a dream from Morpheus. Let me, let me see if I can find it. Something like that. It's kind of like, it's like a cute little scene where they're basically just like referencing gods that the, the other is not familiar with. One of the Vikings references Thor and they're both, they're both like, Oh, who? Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find the scene. See, and that Morpheus reference just washed right over me because this feels so divorced from yeah. Else. Yeah. So one character asks, "How did you sleep?" and and she replies, "As if Morpheus himself ripped my soul." <laughs> so there you go. You know, just a little throw throwaway Sandman reference. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, there we are. All right, Superman number seventeen. Uh, written by Peter Tomasi and Pat Gleason, illustrated by Sebastian Fiumara from oh, from the Mignola verse. Um, this was another great issue, guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, two two great John issues in in one week. <laughs> we truly are spoiled. We are, and like such a fun issue too. Just like totally. Just showing that Gleason can do, and and Tomasi can do, you know whatever they want with this book. It's interesting that I think there's been more stories that have featured John without Clark than Clark without John in this book. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, oh, you know what this also reminded me of? That, um, that short arc that Pac and Cooter did. Um, on Action Comics. Yes. With the... Uh, With the ghosts yeah, in Smallville. Uh-huh. Yeah, this reminds me of that a lot. I love the bit with the cow. Yep. <laughs> Bessie? That seems like some good, like, child horror. You know, yeah, like, that's yeah. the kind of thing that a, a child would, would dream up and think that that's, like, one of the most terrifying things. Yeah. I didn't realize we were getting a Fiamara art. Yeah. That was a really nice surprise. He's so good. He and his brother are both excellent. But I, uh, you know, putting him on Superman seems like an odd fit until you realize that Superman doesn't appear in the issue and it's a horror comic. (laughs) And then all of a sudden he makes a ton of sense. But he could draw Superman, I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um so last page. Is that the Eradicator coming back, or is that creepy Clark Kent just chilling? Because <laughs> it it looks like it could be creepy Clark Kent. I thought it was the Eradicator, but considering the little uh reborn drop down there for next issue. I kind of think it's creepy Clark Kent because <laughs> maybe they intend to finally resolve that. Wouldn't that be something? That would be that'd be incredible if, if, like you said, Zach, we don't have to wait for our children to figure out who <laughs> uh, who that Clark Kent is many years down the road. He's like, hey, other Clark Kent, I'm going to cuck you right in front of you, okay? Cool. <laughs> Did you uh did you guys see the preview art for for Superman Reborn? No. No. There there is a preview out I think earlier this week. Um 
interesting stuff. What does that mean? <laughs> just some, just some, uh, well, I guess I can talk about it because we talked about it last week, but maybe it almost looks like the theories about um, Lex Luthor being Dr. Oz might, might be accurate. <laughs> Not Dr. Oz, Mr. Oz. <laughs> Mr. Oz. Lex Luthor's uh, advocating the use of shitty uh, supplements on yeah. Dead TV. Yeah. That's actually what is in the preview, and that's what made me think. No, no, the, we just get a, a better look at Mr. Oz and, and some of that preview art, and he, he looks very Lex Luthor-esque, so. Hmm. Is this the Superman number 18? Yeah. If Luthor was uh, was Dr. Oz, he would be talking about, like, male vitality and sex life, but then he would he would talk about how he's the most potent sexual being of of any of them. He is pure sex eggplant. <laughs> he does. I mean, for what what little of a of an image we got of him, I can stretch and see that that's. I could say that that's Luthor. I mean, it definitely looks more like Luthor than than Adrian. Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, Vite did not age kindly, if that's who that's <laughs> No. <laughs> is Bubastis there? There is no Bubastis. Yeah. No Bubastis. Oh, well. All right, that brings us to the final issue of the week, Trinity number six, written by Francis Manipal, illustrated by Emmanuel Lupacchino. Always great to see her show up. Yeah, she's awesome. Great art. The, the issue itself, I'm not so sure. I don't think it really accomplished much. No. I don't think the arc really accomplished much. <laughs> I mean, when it, it, it... So the issue ends with Poison Ivy mind-wiped. Um, everybody's back to normal. And I guess really the only fallout is it, it seems like this White Mercy character is is out and about. That also, the, seems the like something. Their house. <laughs> that seems like something that's introduced and never picked up on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Or it's the next great legacy character. It could be. <laughs> I doubt. I it. mean, I feel like it will be picked up again. Honestly, like this, it kind of seems like the thing. Like I know a lot of people out there really want a Poison Ivy ongoing, and that this seems like the kind of thing that, I mean, Clayman seems to have a very. I, I assume that it's his influence on this book that that kind of brought Poison Ivy over. Um, this this seems like the kind of thing that would feed into that sort of thing, but. Cause she needs like a great gazoo character to uh, like hang around. Dumb, dumb. Yeah. Now you know what would be would be really cool though, since we don't have a swamp thing book, is if we just got like a green book, a book about like characters in the green. Oh, I'd be I'd be all about that. And it's like this this white mercy and poison ivy and swamp thing. 
Justice League Green. Justice League Green. Justice League Chloroform. <laughs> oh, Seriously, man. To, 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 to like combat X-Men Gold and Blue, Justice League Green, green and, and Red. League, yeah, Red. Why the hell not? Oh, man, yeah, that would be like Animal, Animal Man. Man, Beast Boy, I guess, maybe, not anymore, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really, uh, yeah. that was weird. Yeah, is Vixen ever been tied into that at all? You could, pretty easily. You probably could, you can make a case for it. Yeah. A, re- a Red Lantern, because why, why not? Why not? Rage! Huh. All right. Alan Scott, get Alan Scott back over here. Put him in there. Yeah, would, baby. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Because I think wasn't the, the James Robinson Earth 2 Green Lantern, he was he was tied into the green. He was. Yep. Oh, man. I want this book now. <laughs> well, folks, that does it for this installment of the show. Thank you for listening. Go to multiversitycomics.com for more comics content for all sorts of news, reviews, interviews, long forms, previews, all sorts of fun stuff. Enjoy it all at multiversitycomics.com. And as always, you can find the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at SirFox89. And uh, next week, we got more Commandy Challenge and uh, more action comics. So, take it back. Good night.